this year has been a little bit different for some, uh, maybe a little bit more challenging. I know families that have gone through a lot. Maybe you're going into this next year a little bit more empty-handed or maybe a little bit more hands-full. I don't know your story. Um, but I was reminded this year as I was uh, doing my reflection time, my renewal time, I'm sitting down coming up with vision plans for what God's called us to do in ministry, business plans for what God's called us to do in business. And, and as I was sitting down doing those things, I was reminded of three years ago on this day, something that God did in my heart that radically changed the direction of our lives. I remember my wife coming home um, from work and I was like, hey, I just I need to share with you a word that God gave me something that he showed me today from his word. And so it was in a season where we were away. We weren't around. We weren't in ministry. Things weren't the same as it had been the nine years prior. And it was a difficult season. How many of y'all remember what 2020 was like? It was kind of crazy. Would you agree with that? It was painful. Um, A lot of unknowns, a lot of scary things that happened. And that was the COVID year where people just were so afraid. Um, People were mourning the loss of loved ones, and we were actually going through a rebuilding time in our own family and um, where we saw God do some incredible things. And so on New Year's Eve, which is tonight, and I love that we get to spend that together today, but I was in Exodus chapter 12. I shared with my wife. She made me sit down and shoot a video. Um, And I remember sitting in my basement terrified to share a little 15-minute segment. And so as I was doing that reflection time this year, God brought me back to this passage. So I'm going to bring it back to you. So let's go to Exodus chapter 12. And let's look at this um, through the mindset, if you would, or the eyes of people that have been in captivity for far too long. People that have been hurting for far too long. I think we can look in our world and see injustice, can't you? We can look around, we can see hurting people. We can see broken people. My wife and I, after leaving my family yesterday, we went to my parents' house and spent time for the first time in two years with my entire family. And it went amazing. And um, I know last week we preached, and at the end of the sermon, maybe even before we cut up off, offline, God really hit me at the end to just challenge us to share Jesus, whether that through action or deed. And, and I, I told somebody the, the most responsive uh, turnout or return we've had on a sermon was last week. And it wasn't the sermon, it was the last five minutes where we were saying, hey, some of us need to have some hard conversations where we're sharing Jesus with people that we know need him. But some of us need to go in and we need to let go of some grudges this year. How many of y'all remember that part? That's the one I've been getting the most phone calls on. It's like, hey, you nailed me to the wall. You really broke me down. Like, I, I had a matter of fact, I, I was talking with one family who, for the first time in over a decade, walked into the door of a house that they swore they'd never go into and actually sat down with their family at Christmas. You know, and I looked at that and I was like, hey, that's great. I'm glad God's working in your life. Be praying. I got to practice that and eat that on Saturday. I got to do that myself. And you know, you walk in and you see these things and you realize where God's brought you from, right? The things that God's done. So as we were leaving yesterday and we were driving home, we were talking about some things, you know, and um, Jordan and I, and, and, and one of the things we were talking about is, wouldn't it be nice? And I was sharing it with Garrett this morning, if we could go back and there was a book on every person in this room today. And in that book, it showed everything that you've been through that's made you who you are today. Like if, if we could just see where your anxiety is rooted where that fear of people or that fear of vulnerability is rooted. What event took place in your life? What, what rejection did you experience that led you to become the person you are today? What's made you as strong as you are today? 
Like, where was it that you got that fight or flight out of your mind and you dug in? Where did you become that strong version of you? And if we could just sit back, maybe we would see the world a little bit different than we would realize that the comment you just heard out of somebody's mouth, whether good or bad, did not come from the moment. It came from a root in their life. And wherever that root is rooted is influencing who they are. Maybe we would have a little more compassion for people, realizing that there are some people sitting in this auditorium who possibly, it could be true and could be said of them, have never outside of the love of God experienced any type of meaningful love with another human being. It could be said that maybe there's a child in here who has never known what it's like to have the love of a mom and dad. Maybe that child's 40, 50, and they didn't talk to you this morning when they passed, and they didn't shake your hands when it was time to shake hands, and you're sitting there saying, well, this church might not welcome people, and it might not be that at all. It might be a roots coming out, and, and they're very scared of you because you might look like somebody. I remember Randy Harden one time, and I think he, he there he is, back row. When he first started coming to our church, told me he had a very hard time with me because I looked just like one of his abusers. Remember that, Randy? And it has stuck with me. And, 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 and Randy and I, I, gosh, we've known each other, what now, 13, 14 years and, and, and seeing who he is and what God's done in his life, but had nothing to do with what I'd ever said to him or anything I'd ever done, just that reminder. How many of you have ever been in a place and you smell something and it reminds you of a memory? You know, and we, we look at that, and we start judging the world through the eyes of who they are. And sometimes we need to remember where they've been what you've been through and the things that have made you where you are today. And in this passage, we are seeing a, a, a transformation, if you would, a paradigm shift in the lives of the Israelite people. We know from this passage, 600,000 men were Egyptian slaves that were Israelites. And then it says in this passage, plus women and children. So the estimation is somewhere between 1.2 and 2 million people are walking out of Egypt. Can you imagine that? That's literally the size of some of our major cities like New York and other places. Imagine you're standing there in a country and the entire city of New York starts walking out. Wouldn't that be a sight? And so as we're seeing this moment, there's a, a shift that's happening in their life. But the problem is this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just really give you this an introduction, that as they left and were no longer slaves, they never left the slave mentality. They took it with them. They, they changed scenes, they changed territory, they changed lifestyle, but they never changed mindset. And when they get to God's promise, they can't accept it. Because as they're stepping into God's promise, they don't see a land flowing with milk and honey, although they mention that it's there. They see giants and walled cities. They remember straps on their backs and slavery and the giants and the cities remind them of where they've been. And because the mindset didn't change, they stayed captives even while free. I look across the church and sometimes in my own life, those of us who have received the forgiveness of God, which is all of us, those of us who have the mercy of God applied not just in one moment of our lives, but every single day renewed from the time that we took our first breath to now, how God is continually renewing that. Those of us who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, secured through his death and raised to new life through his resurrection, while we have been set free, maybe still have the same mindset of a captive. 
Maybe we're walking around still feeling like I'll never be anything or I'm not worthy. I I believe, and I don't know what God's going to do at this women's conference. I believe it's going to be amazing. And and Jordan and I were talking about, Libby and I this morning, as, as, as the theme has come to the table, and I said, what does that mean to you? And it's just like, hey, if somebody invites me over, it means that they have value in who I am, and they want my presence in their life, and they want to be a part. And when Jesus said, I prepared a table before you in the presence of my enemy, He was calling you holy. He was calling you worthy. He was calling you valuable. He was calling you needed, desired, wanted, and then secure. And as we look at this, and I'm saying we live in a world that has not accepted the identity of God as much as we've accepted the identity of the past, the identity of others, the identity of the comments that have been made, the identities of our failures, the identities of our shortcomings. And at some point, we've got to ask yourself, are you truly free? Are you just in a different territory with the same mindset? And so as we go into a new year, my prayer in my life and my prayer for you, our prayer as a church is that we don't go into 2024 with a 2023 vision. That we don't go in and become the same as we've been, doing the same things we've always done, expecting different results but getting the same outcomes. That we don't have the same type relationship with our loved ones this time next year as we have right now. My biggest prayer in my life is that I'm closer to God and know more about him in the next 365 days than I know right now. I'm praying that when you get a year from now, you don't recognize who you were today. And when you get a year from now, that you, you see yourself having traveled way further than you are today. That a year from now, we sit and we celebrate the things that God has done while understanding that things that need to happen in our lives are still to come. Changes are still to be made. So let's write this down then. Read it with me. We're going to start in verse number 31. This is after the plagues. This is after death. Frogs, flies, water that's blood. This is after a, a tumultuous time in the Egyptians' lives. And, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but one of the cool things about this passage is if you go back and you read, yeah, Pharaoh was going to, uh, to Moses and Moses to Pharaoh, and they were going in this back and forth of let my people go, no, let my people go, no. Pharaoh's heart would harden and God would send a plague. How many of you somewhat know this story? You got it? I'm giving you a little pair. And, and, and I love the fact if you go back a couple chapters and start reading, you'll find where Moses says, all these plagues are going to happen unless you're here. It's going to be different if you're in this territory. And that's the territory that the slaves lived in. That's the territory that, that the, the children of Israel lived in. The only plague that you find where you don't see the difference made is when the death angel comes, the children of Israel were not escaping it. And they had to make a provision over this. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. There's a place of your life and a place of God's promise and a place that God has designed for you that if you live in that, you will live safely even when chaos is going on around you. Now, that doesn't mean that's going to be perfect and that you're not going to experience some of the things that other people experience. But I'm telling you now, the place that I'm talking about is called obedience. The place that I'm talking about is called faith. And when you have faith and obedience in God, even with chaos in the world around you, you still experience the world, but you experience a whole lot different than those that have no hope, than those that have no one to believe in. So as we look at this, it says, Pharaoh sent to Moses and Aaron during the night, get out. He ordered, leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. What changed his mind? I know we're on video, but you can talk. What what changed his mind? The death of his son. I found this to be true in my own life, and I find it to be true in a lot of other people's life. Normally, it takes a tragedy for us to get serious about something in our lives. Agree or disagree? 
Most people do not change without tragedy. And you say, well, I'm going through a tragedy. Great news. You can change here. Things can be different here. You're going to see the world differently. You're going to experience the world differently. I hate that tragedy has brought you to this place, but don't let tragedy take you out. Tragedy could change you into something you should be. It could metamorphosize. It could it puts you in a, a place of different thinking and different rationale and help you see the world different. I, I, I'll tell you all the time, and, and please understand this. If you're visiting our church today, most of the people on our staff or in our leadership have been through broken. All right? It, it, you, you, here's the thing. I want you to understand this. Broken people know how to love and help broken people. Perfect people don't know how to see broken people. Don't know how to care for broken people and most times won't. We, we, we don't go, I, I tell them on Monday nights, I'll tell you the same on Tuesday nights. We don't look for our leaders on Sunday mornings. Anybody can show up a Sunday morning every now and then. You know where I love to find our leaders? In grief classes, celebrate recovery, restoration recovery, those things. You say, why? Because once you've been delivered, it will change you if you let God do a work inside of you. And that will help you see other people the way that you need to see. Moses and Pharaoh had had this hard heart, go, don't go, go, don't go relationship until all of a sudden something tragic happens in Pharaoh's life and his entire outlook changes. Get out and take everybody with you. I'm going to tell you this right now. Wouldn't it be awesome, by the way, in the story, if we're doing this in an analogy sense, Egypt represents the place of your sin, your captivity, you're broken. Pharaoh represents the enemy against you, Satan, his demons, his legions. You got it? Say got it. Wouldn't it be awesome if Satan got so sick of what God was doing in your life that at some point Satan's telling you to get away? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if your faith got so real this year that a demon knocks on the door, opens it, hears the praise and worship, shuts the door and gets out? Wouldn't it be good if your heart was so full of God that Satan didn't even try to possess it? Didn't even try. Now, is he going to oppress and afflict? Absolutely. But I'm telling you this now. There is something powerful that happens when your home is centered on Jesus. When your life and your heart is centered on him. The enemy cannot stand the praise of God. And when we live a life towards his praise, worthy of his praise, and giving his praise, it will radically change us. But wouldn't it be great today if... Satan kind of walked into Libby's life and said, okay, Libby, get out, get out. I'm done. I can't do this. God's too powerful. God's real with you. Now we learn from Jesus that he's still going to attack, right? Satan's still going to come. He'll nail you to a cross if that's what it takes. He'll, he'll put you in a grave if he thinks that's what's going to win. But the, the truth is when the stone rocks and rolls, people fall like dead men and demons don't stick around. Yeah. The thing is, is God wants to do something incredible. Some of you, this is the moment that God's going to move you out of a season. Matter of fact, if I'm going to give you two prayers, let me give you the end first. Maybe in the coming years, some of our prayers need to be move me. And maybe some of the prayers need to be bring me out. Maybe it's God, I need to move forward and I need to grow. Or maybe it's I need to be brought out of this lifestyle. Now I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to examine yourself at home real quick. And I want you to ask you, are you where you want to be? Are you where you want to be? Are you where you want to be as a Christian? Is your home where you want it to be spiritually? Are your relationships built on the things you want it built on? Are you where you want to be? If that's you, can you raise your hand and say, God, strengthen the guard of my mind and my heart to keep me in this place that I need to be. 
growing in you. Or how many of you would say, God, I want to move a little deeper than I am today. I want to go a little further than I've gone. I need to know you a little bit more to help me, help change me. Would you slip your hand up? How many is that? All right, that's a lot. Take it down. How many of you could be described this way? For 430 years, your family's been trapped by the same addictions, the same habits, the same communication tactics. You've seen person after person in your family die to the same drugs, the same alcohols, the same pornographies, the same things that have gone on and on. You fill in the blank. The gossip has run rampant. Your mom was one. Your grandma was one. Your grandpa was one. And you have just inherited this. Is there anybody in here that would say, I am tired of being trapped in this lifestyle that I've been trapped in from my life? life. And I'm tired that my family name, my family bloodline has been trapped in this. And maybe it's time that the generational curse needs to end. And maybe it's time that you lay the addiction on an altar. Maybe it's time that you say, okay, I cannot do this on my own. So with God as my help and others surrounding me, I'm declaring 2024, the death of this Egypt in my life. And maybe your prayer today is bring me out. God, bring me out. Is anybody like that? Sit there hand up and say, I want different this year. Bring me up. Okay. Oh, wow. 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 Look at me. Let's go. Pharaoh looks at him and says, take your flocks and your herds as you said, and be gone. Go. I like this word, but bless me as you leave. Now, now there's a different view of God. Now it's not my magicians anymore that can throw their things down and they become snakes. Now it's not the imitators and all the people of Egypt that could imitate. By the way, can I tell you this? Satan is a great imitator of God, but he will never be him. He, he, he can duplicate, he can replicate, but he can't become. He can get close, but he can't go all the way. He's sneaky, he's subtle, he, he's very influential, but he is not powerful. He's not all-knowing, he can't change it. Look at this. He says, all the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added, wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothings and articles of silver and gold. And the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. Please, I want you to underline this. I got it highlighted in my digital Bible. I want you to underline this. So they stripped the Egyptians of what? Their wealth. We'll come back. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks and herds of livestock. For bread, they baked flat cakes from the dough without yeast that they had brought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry that they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. By the way, if you want to go do a study on what yeast represents in the Bible, it's a really cool thing. All right, I'm not going to get into it. I'll get off track. There's a good Bible study for you or talk to me later. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year, New Year's Eve, that all the Lord's forces left the land. On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him. And it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. 
I look at this and I realize that as the Israelites were leaving and as this, this is what I told my wife, hey, listen, we're leaving 2020. And let me tell you, we had never been more happy to see a year leave our lives than we were that year. Anybody else say amen to that? Yeah, we were never more happy to get into a new year and a new season. I know tomorrow's just another Monday, but in our minds, it does renew like a new hope. How many of you are starting a diet? Raise your hand. Let's see all the liars in the room. Come on, let's go. How many of you are starting a diet? I got my hand up in the air. All right. Um, how, how many of you got a plan? You're going to do something different this year. Maybe, maybe it's financially going to save a little bit more. You're going to do so. How many of you got, have looked forward and said, there's changes coming? Slip your hand up in the air. All right, there you go. You say, well, we shouldn't do that. Get, get off your high horse, your religious. Take off your Pharisee robe and scribe robes and sit down and be a person, all right? The truth is, is you, you need to look forward at times in your lives and say, hey, I need some goals. I need some vision. Without a vision, people perish, including you. And so I, I need to go somewhere. But sometimes we get so happy about where we're going that we forget some truths. Yes, there are new opportunities around the corner. Ah, oh, yes, there's, there's gonna be new challenges that come with those new opportunities. I mean, you might be getting a new lifestyle. You might be getting a different lifestyle. You, you may be coming into the point where you're no longer slaves. For some of you, you gave up addiction. You've been clean six months. Some of you have been clean three weeks. Some of you have been clean since Halloween, October. You shared these things with me, and we're celebrating your sobriety, and you're saying, hey, this was the year I laid down the part of me that was difficult, and now I've got it. I'm telling you, the worst thing you could ever put into your vocabulary is, I'm good. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I've got this. Because right. the truth is, and I've heard this, this isn't my own. The reward for overcoming this year's challenge is what? A new challenge. A new challenge. Yeah. And every challenge you experience in your life, the reward is a new challenge. Hey, you can bench press 100 pounds. Great. Now you get 125 on the bar. Yeah. Right? Some of you are like, that is so weak. Hey, I'm just happy to get the bar off the ground at this point, right? Hey, hey, you, you, okay, you, you've done well. You're, you're not eating as much sugar, okay? Now let's talk about salt. All right, you're like, well, I gave up all that. Let's talk about caffeine. You know, like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Get off my thing. <laughs> By the way, a little freebie. The two drugs that most people are addicted to are caffeine and sugar, but let's move on. We're like, all these people need to celebrate. How many of you had to have coffee this morning before you came to church? Let's not make eye contact. I included, I, I was walking by Grant out in the parking lot. It's like uh, a warm drink in a cold morning on a short sleeves. And he's like, it's a Wade special. Anybody know what the Wade special is? Coffee and hot chocolate. All right. It's like mix those two things together. I don't know. Starbucks has not caught on to this yet. All right. But, but like Wade's a genius. But it's terrible for you. I mean, it's so bad. But how many of you are like, don't talk to me until I get my coffee? We meet on Tuesday nights at six. All right, here we go. Ready? Um, understand this. Like, there's going to be things. Maybe this year you got out of the bad relationship. Maybe you're not abused like you used to be. But here's what I found to be true. A lot of people that hate their dad marry him. Oh, not necessarily him. No, we're not talking about illegal stuff. But someone just like him. A lot of the people that says, I'll never be like my mom, guess who they're like? A lot of people that say, oh, I'll never go back there again. You might not go back there again, but you're going to go to something that's similar, just a different face. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time, if you, if you don't like the close at Gap, then maybe stop shopping at Gap. You're, you're saying, well, I, 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 I just, I don't know why I always find the bad guys. Because you're shopping in the same section. 
You just think because it's a different form or a different method or a different material that it's going to be a different relationship. I'm going to tell you this right now. Your heart can't be trusted because your heart yearns to heal someone. If you have been in an abusive relationship, the danger of you is that you're going to date to fix. And you're going to think you can fix everybody. And I'm telling you right now, you are not the savior of the world. If you were, you could help yourself. And I am helpless. Anybody else say I'm helpless without Jesus Christ today? I need a savior. Say it with me. Ready? I need a savior. You need a savior. I'm not it, but I know him. I can show you him. Don't lean on me. Let's lean on him. We'll lean on him together. He's strong enough for the both of us. He's strong enough for all of us. The the cross had so much ground underneath it that we can all fit right there where we belong. And we can all get up from that cross. I'm telling you right now, church needs that. And and I'm not against it or anything. I cannot stand seeing a crucifix with Jesus on the cross because he's not there. I mean, let's let's start walking around with some empty tombs. and, And let's start getting away from, oh my goodness, the cross was so bad. And realize that, yes, it was terrible. It was awful. It was hell on earth. He experienced it for us. But there's also another scene. There's another chapter to the story. You need to go realize that there was a tomb where the stone was rolled away. So stop grieving where your sin died and start living where your Savior came back to life. And realize that, hey, the thing's got to change. We got to understand, and here it is, ready? For all of you that are dating the same person again and again and again in a different face, different color, different skin. Let me, can I tell you what you need? Your heart needs to heal because it can't be trusted in the pain that it's in. Don't trust it. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, come on, talk with me. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You know what that's saying? That abuse, it's worth talking about. Oh, I don't, somebody else has it worse than me. That is a lie of Satan to keep you down. Pain is pain. Matter of fact, if I were to bring Robbie and Arista up on the stage, punch one in the face and slam my foot on the other's foot, and then ask you whose pain is worse, do you think they care about whose pain is worse? You and I could examine it and say, well, would it be worse to be hit in the face or stomped on the foot? Let's talk. In the face, you might bruise. In the face, it might do this. In the foot, you might not be able to walk. And we would do this whole healthy debate on what would be the worst pain. But the people standing up here could care less about that debate. What do they care about? Their pain. I think the church for too long has debated what pains are worse instead of realizing that pain is pain and it has to be dealt with. And so Satan will come to your ear and he'll whisper in there, he'll say, John, Bro, somebody else has got it better than you. Somebody else has got it worse than you. You shouldn't be down. This shouldn't bother you. Keep your mouth shut. Suck it up. Rub some dirt on and let's go. But the truth is, if your ankles hurt, get off your ankle. Get to somebody who knows ankles and obey what they tell you to do about your ankle. How many of you understand that process? Say, got it. But how many of you are too stubborn to do it? Say, got it. Yeah. The thing is, is I, 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 I don't think it's, you need to sit here and evaluate if your life is better than somebody else's. I, I think we all need to sit here and evaluate. We're all in need of Jesus. We all need help. And if you're hurting today, you need to seek the healing of that hurt. Or guess what? Your decisions are going to start. They're going to start growing from there. 
How many of you could be honest and say, if you could go back 20 years, you would do your life totally different than the way you've done it? Now, would you change the characters? Probably not. Like, you know, it, it, it's like, if I could go back and marry my wife again, I'd totally do it. No questions asked. That would be the woman I married. Would I treat her different? Yes. Would I have made different decisions? Yes. You know why? Because now I know the dangers to look for. Now I know the conversations that need to be had a little bit better. Are we still good at those? No, but you know what? You can, you can understand that we, we we're growing and trying to get better and you know, you're like, well, we don't want to have the difficult conversations. I'm telling you this right now. The person that says we never fight, you got to worry about that relationship. You know, because at some point, if you're passionate, you're going to have a disagreement. Now, fight doesn't mean yell, scream. Fight means something different to all of us, doesn't it? Yeah. How many of you fight in your home was you sat down for an hour at a table and talked it through? How many of you lived that way? One. Okay. One. That's a happy dude, too. How many of you fight with yell, scream, and no resolution? Come on. That's most of us. How many of you fight was like, let's not talk about it ever? Now, how many of you say the not talking about it feels great? How many of you say the yell, scream feels great? No, none of it does. You know, the truth is, is fight might mean something different, but... Fight means, hey, we need to disagree and we need to have a conversation. We need to come to a healthy resolution of this. Why is that important? Because I'm, I'm telling you right now, you may act like it doesn't hurt, but it roots. How many of you have ever said, I don't know why I am the way I am, why I think the way I think, why I do the things that I do? I'm telling you this now. There is a why. It needs to be found. needs to be uprooted, given to God, and you need to move forward because you can leave Egypt. But the truth is, Egypt has to leave you. You might have a whole new world ahead of you. But you've got to learn from the world behind you. Sometimes leave the world behind you and trust the God that's leading you. New opportunities bring new challenges. So don't get scared, but yeah, you're going to grow this year. And you don't grow without change. You don't change without loss. You don't lose without hurting. So how many of you believe in growing pains? Say yes. I do. So as the children of Israel walking out on the 430th year, here's the things that we do know. And this is the hope that I want you to grab and I want you to put into your life. Number one, they were fully funded. They were ready and prepared and equipped for the journey that God had ahead of them. They were literally asking the enemy and getting from the enemy everything they would need to survive the journey from their 13-day, 14-day journey to the promised land. They should have been ready to go. Uh, over 2 million people totally equipped and wealthy and ready to go. Can I tell you this? And I want to tell you, I, I'm going to get all the skeptics out. Ready? Here we go. Listen, get this out of your head. They went from slaves with nothing to richer than Egypt in a moment. And for those of you that are dead in your trespasses and sin, he has raised a new life. It doesn't take a year of your life to be radically different. It takes a belief in God and what he has for you to radically change in this moment. It doesn't take uh, 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 somebody's uh, uh, ordaining you or, or believing in you or a confirmation that, oh, DJ's ready, John's ready. No, it takes a confirmation of the Holy Spirit given by God for a life to radically change. You might have to deal with consequences for the next year or two years of your life, but you do not have to stand and wait on the approval of others to be who you're supposed to be. God will take from the tragedy and equip you for what he wants to do through you in the rest of your life. 
I'm telling you right now, my love for people doesn't come from a loving family. My love from people comes from a lifetime of absence of love and knowing that there is no such thing as insignificant and no little boy, no little girl, no man, no woman was ever going to be made to feel less than because we believe that if God could save someone like me, he could save any of you. And because of that, we see that. We care to the difficult people. We try to minister to the most frustrating people. Now, I, I can't tell you how many times this year I've heard, I don't know why you try so hard with that one. Because I can't look at my Savior and my life and see a moment where he stopped trying on me. And if I can find the moment that God gave up on me, then I have a right to give up on others. But somebody in the room, stand and testify on the truth that God gave up on you. Or how many of you would say, God went a long way to reach this one. And because of that, we'll go all the way to reach another. Anybody else say yes to that? Slip a hand in the air. That's me. Yeah, amen. The truth is, is he equipped them. I like number two. Stripped of wealth means stripped of power. How many of you love that Colossians verse? I have it on a t-shirt. That he took the records of wrongs that was held against you and he nailed it to the cross. He took all the enemy's power and stripped him. He shamed the enemy on the cross. That's what Jesus did. And some of you are walking around like the world has a hold of your future. Like, like, like the enemy has a hold of your story. That no matter what you do, you'll never get ahead. It'll never change. Nobody will ever believe in you. Hey, stop listening to the wrong crowd. I have it written in my journal. Don't let the voices of negativity and the voices that will never believe in you be the voices that you're believing when you're building your life. Don't let the ones that could care less about where you go be the ones that are educating you on how to get there. I'll tell you this all the time. I have people tell me they love me and I know the things that they say and I know the things that they do. You know what I do? I tell them I love you too and I mean it, but I don't listen to another word they have to say. And you're like, you're blocking out their wisdom. I believe that if you can't love another person, you have no wisdom. And the Bible says if you hate another person, then the love of God is not in you. How many of you understand that? And so when they start saying, oh, I hate them and I don't like them and I don't care for them, you're not going to be the advisor of my life. You know why? Because the love of God can't be there and a hate for another be there too. You, you care for the ones that have hurt you. You love the ones that have been against you because you believe in the God that rescued you. But God will strip the enemy. Right, matter of fact, can, can you write this in your notes? The enemy only has a voice when you give him a microphone. And he only has power when you surrender yours. Absent that, he's Barney Five. Not Andy Griffin. That might be too old for some of you. I don't even know how to, do I use Paw Patrol? I don't know where to go on that one to get the younger generation. Barney Five's gun is empty. The bullets are in the pocket. I mean, I understand this, like, well, so-and-so said I'm this. Well, don't give so-and-so the rights to your life. Don't give him the keys to your car. Don't give him the pen to your story. Don't, don't let them write the next chapter. So-and-so says that, let so-and-so think that. Let God write the story. Let God's voice lead you in the way that you're supposed to go. Because my Bible tells me the enemy has no power. But you can surrender yours 
The Bible says that the power of life and death finish at church is in the... I said something the other day to which Jordan quickly replied, don't speak that. Don't speak that into existence. Anybody else ever get up and you're like, well, I know this is going to be... You go into a, a family get together and ah, this is going to be... Power of life and death is weird. You know, you have an enemy that's always listening. Will you, will you please understand this? You don't have an enemy that can read your mind. You don't have an enemy that knows what's going on inside of you. You don't have an enemy. There's certain languages of prayer that angels use and Jesus use and that we can use that the enemy cannot pick up on. It's, it's the unknown tongue. Those things can happen. Are you with me today? Are you following this? He is not smart. He's stupid. If he was smart, he'd still be worshiping around the throne of God. He's an idiot. Condemned to die. He's miserable. And misery loves company and he's inviting you to his table. But there's a table of Psalm 23 that you've been invited to too. And if you're not careful, you'll go sit at the enemy's table and you'll listen to the soap opera that is your life instead of going to the king's table and listening to the inheritance that God has declared to be your life. And you'll surrender every power. For every one person that says you should do something, there's going to be a hundred or a thousand that say you shouldn't. For every one person that stands behind you and sees a talent and ability, you're going to have critics that are jealous or hurting in their own lives that want to tear you down and take it down because they can't find their own way. For everyone that believes in you, there will be way more that don't. You cannot lean on the words of others. You've got to lean on the promises of God. And when God looked at them and said, tonight is the last night of the year, you are walking out, you are leaving, it is over, then you need to hear God's voice saying, you are no longer slave, you are now free and you need to accept that freedom and go live the life that God has asked you to live instead of wandering for 40 years because you never left behind the Egypt in you. The Lord calls the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites. The same people that whipped them gave them clothes. The same people that beat them gave them money. The same midwives that were murdering their babies We're now giving them cattle and stock and everything to get out. I want you to get this promise and I want you to understand it. That God even uses the evil things of the world to equip your life for the powerful things that he wants to do through you. By the time this group made it to Canaan, Canaan was scared that they were coming. They heard about the Red Sea. The Egyptian army that was the most powerful army of the world got swallowed by a wall of water while they all, two million plus, walked across on dry ground. The Bible says that when Joshua and Caleb finally took the Israelites in, that a word went out through Canaan. And then the very first story you hear as they cross the Jordan River is they walk around the walls of Jericho, the most fortified city in Canaan, and it falls without them doing a single thing. They conquer a city that could not be conquered, a city that was impenetrable, a city that was a stronghold of that land that literally set the tone. And from there, every nation was scared to death of slaves. But God never in the entire book of Egypt referred to them as slaves. Matter of fact, as they were leaving Egypt, he said the forces of God left that very night. And I'm tired of the church thinking and believing that we're going to see these things get weaker and weaker and that the the cause of God is not going to be as accepted and that people aren't going to come to him. I believe in the revival of the end times. I believe that God is going to pour out visions and dreams. I believe that he's going to send messengers everywhere 
to reach people for the cause of Jesus Christ. We are not weak today. We are God's forces called to go take lands that belong to him and bring them back. The thing is, as many of us are walking around defeated. I am one of those. So as I stand here and I preach and I tell you that we need to get the Egypt out of you, it's not as much to you as it's to me. And I'm just praying that it resonates in one of you that today you need to stop calling yourself an addict and start believing what a child of God deserves and what a child of God has been given and what a child of God has for them. It's not a lifestyle of I can't stop, I can't stop. No, it is a promise and a truth that with God, all things are possible. And even though you've been here long, God is declaring today, maybe on the last day of the year, you declare it too. You've been here long enough and things are going to change. Stop giving power to the enemy. And I like this last thing and we'll be out of here. They left fully funded. They left with their enemies stripped of power, but they didn't leave alone. Look at this. Verse 38. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them. I'm telling you right now, if your life is moving forward and nobody's coming with you, you've made your life all about you and you need to turn around and get somebody else. If you're finding freedom and nobody else is finding freedom from your freedom, then you made your freedom all about you. You need to stop and rescue somebody else. One of my biggest concerns with our youth group right now is that our older generation of youth don't seem to care about a younger generation of youth. And I'm saying it publicly because it is, it's keeping me up at night. They care about their relationships and where they are. They do not care about where the younger ones are. I see it here and it, it breaks my heart sometimes. Last in, first out. Never building relationships or trying to help other people. Never trying to invest in other ones. Last in, first out. And oftentimes first to complain that they don't belong. And I'm going to tell you this. Wade says it all the time. Church is not where you build relationships. You know where you build relationships? Somebody tell me. What's the word? In ministries. In small groups. In what? Service. One of, one of the biggest times in my life that I got to know Wade was when we were building this building. That's when I realized that there was something wrong with this thermos. That dude would not let anybody get near his thermos. And then all of a sudden, he'd carry water bottles. And what I thought was water. And then all of a sudden, I'd start smelling things on his breath. Am I right, Wade? Because it wasn't water at all. It was vodka. And that coffee was Irish. And I love the fact that God used people like me and him, who were totally broken and flawed, to build this whole church. And then in the church, housed him. In the church, recovered him. In the church, delivered him. But built it while most would have walked away from him. Y'all with me? You say, but I've been so messed up, Pastor Josh. Nobody will ever love me or care about Are you kidding me? God's been building you even while you've been running. One of Canaan's favorite books that she keeps bringing me right now is the Jonah story. It's a kid version Jonah story, and we keep reading, uh, and I can almost quote it. Uh, it, it, You know, uh, from God, Jonah would run away because God, Jonah, did not want to obey. 
So God sent a whale who swallowed Jonah in his flight with just one simple bite. But in the well, Jonah prayed. And mad at Jonah, God would not stay. So after three days, he spit him on ground. And obedience, Jonah found. You know, like, listen. You, you may be on a, a road to Tarsus. You may be in a boat going a, on, on a different sea than God's called you to. You may be living a lifestyle that's murdering Christians. That's Saul. You, he, he's now Paul. Jonah, who was the one that wanted Nineveh to die, became a, a revivalist that actually saved an entire nation. You, you, you say, what are you talking about? I'm simply saying, well, you've been thinking you've been running from God. God's still been using the run to build you, to strengthen you. And you're like, there's no way he can love me. He's loved you where you are. He will love you where you're going. He will love he will love you clean. God will not change how much he loves you. He's always loved you and he's been building you. And at some point of your life, we got to declare, I'm not the slave of Egypt. I'm the victor of God, a force of God, leaving this behind, going to grab what God has for me. Yes, there'll be challenges. Yes, there'll be doubt. Yes, there'll be fights. Yes, it'll get brutal. But you have a God that goes before you who fights for you. You have a warrior. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, we find that Yahweh is is we need to understand that you and I were not called to freedom alone. We were called to bring other people with us. You need to meet other people. Listen, what good is it going to be for us to make millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars and go stand before God and not take one soul with us? What good would it be for us to be so busy and, and all these things that we, we don't take others with us. We haven't done Christmas at my family's in two years. And so naturally my parents had gotten my, my kids some clothes and they had packaged them two years ago. And if you know anything about kids, Lincoln's gained 80 pounds this year. Yeah, yeah, he's a big guy. Last year's clothes don't fit. But my daughter, and God help her, she's learning has a question every time we open presents. You open the last one, and what do you think her question is? Are there more presents? So we're trying to teach her. You be grateful for what you have. Thankful for what you have. So last night we got home, and I unload the packages that we did not open of last year's clothes. Because my mom made a statement and said, "Um, take those. We know within your church and other places you'll find people that need those and just give them to someone else. So they're still in the package ready for someone else in those sizes. As I was taking them out last night, putting them under our tree, which is still up, and if we have anything to say about it, we'll probably still be up in February or March. If Canaan has anything to say about it, it's going down tomorrow. She looks at me and she says, Dad, there's still presents. I said, but those are not for you. Those are for somebody else in need. Why do you think she needs to hear those words, church? Because in our lives from a very young age, we're all about a two-letter word, me. And if we're not careful, we grow into the Christian that has been delivered from Egypt that forgets we've ever been there. That, That we believe we're entitled to the blessings of God. And then all of a sudden we stumble across another sinner. We stumble across another broken person. We stumble across another addict. We stumble across another cheater. We stumble across somebody. It's like we were, but we forgot where we were. We forgot what God's done for us. 
And what we need to realize is sometimes God does things in your life and it's not for you. You you might be going through something in your life that has nothing to do with what you're going to learn. It might be for somebody else. It might be for the rabble, the people that we literally have no idea what nation they're even from. They have no identity. They are nothing. They're not Egyptian. They're not Jew. But when Israel finds their freedom, so do they. The truth is this. You might not have the best past and you might not have the best story. You might not have all the bank accounts that you want to have. And you might not live in the most glamorous things that you want to live in. But the truth is, is God is bringing you somewhere and taking you somewhere. And you're not supposed to be going alone. There's somebody you're supposed to bring, bring, be bringing with you. As you go into a new year, I'm praying that you're thinking, God, I want my life to become what it needs to become so somebody else can experience the freedom that you give to. I want my life to become so powerful that somebody else gets to experience who you are too. So I'm going to do something that we haven't done in a very long time. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm actually going to have Glenda just grab the piano in case he stayed there just in case we need words. And, and, and I'm going to ask you right now to do an examination of your heart. What are you leaving behind this year that needs to be left behind? What Egypt needs to be laid down? I think there was about 20, 25 of you that raised your hand and said, bring me out, bring me out, bring me out. And if you're ever going to be brought out, you you have got to open your hands and empty your heart. You got to say, God, create in me a new heart. Create in me a new mind. Renew Restore. Isn't that what David prayed? Give me a clean heart, oh God. And renew your spirit within me. And I'm going I'm to actually ask you today, on the last day of the year, to, to physically maybe get at an altar somewhere. And say, God, I'm giving this up. If you're at home, I'm going to ask you to sit your knees right there at your couch or, or at your table. Or maybe pull over on the side of the road and just... Scott, bring me out. I'm tired. Of the generational curse of my family, I'm tired. Of the addictions of my life, I'm tired. Of letting the afflictions and the hurts and the hangups rule my decision-making. God, I'm tired of my shame and my guilt. So in Jesus' name, I'm laying it out. Short truth, you're probably going to have to lay it again again tomorrow and the next day and seek his healing and his truth again and again. You ain't leaving Egypt alone. You're going to need help. But is anybody in here at that desperate place of life where you're like, I don't want to be in Egypt anymore. And so God, I'm praying in Jesus name, bring me, bring my family, bring my kids, bring whoever it is, bring us out. Is there anybody like that that would just come and just get on your knees at an altar? Let us come pray over you. And can we surrender these things today? I'm not going to beg you. We don't do altar calls much. But when the Holy Spirit lays it on me, we're going to open it wide open. And I feel it heavily right now that there's somebody in the room that just needs to get these things out of your hands and out of your minds and let God have them. Bring me up. I need two men to come join these two men that are at 
the altar. Is there anybody that come pray with him? These two men. DJ, would you go this way? Is that all right? All right, Travis, you go this way. All right, it can be more than two men. All right, come on. Bring me up. Is there anybody else in the room that might be at the place of their life where they've been brought out? You, you, you haven't had that addiction in a long time, but maybe you're carrying that shame and it's, you've carried it long enough. Maybe, maybe you're still feeling inferior. God has a promise for you to conquer, but you still feel smaller than the giants. You're a grasshopper and God didn't bring grasshoppers out. He brought warriors out. Is there anybody that would say, I've been brought out, but God, would you, I just need freedom from the shame. I need freedom from the guilt. I need to get my God identity on and I just need to walk in power and in truth. I need to embrace the calling of my life. I need to care about those that are around me and not stop worrying about what they think and, and actually start worrying about where they're going and what they need. Is there anybody else in the room today that says, okay, I am out of Egypt, but I need Egypt out of me. I need to be free. I need to know that I'm holy because he's holy. I'm godly because he's godly. I'm righteous because he made me that way. I'm saved because he gave me his son. I am a child of God and may Maybe we need to walk in our God identity and not the slave identity. Is there anybody here that would say, hey, you know, I just need a renewed mindset that that I can live and be totally free. Would you join us at the altar? There's many others coming. Would you join us? We take it. Wow. All men. What a powerful sight so far. There we go. I heard this yesterday. My faith is strong, but my confidence is not. That needs to change. Because your confidence needs to come through the faith. Not the action of others. The inaction of others. But through the faith of God who has done all these things for you. At some point of your life. You got to get your God goggles on just to see the world? No. You need to see you too. The one that will stand before him, worthy, holy, spotless, clean. And don't wait till you get to heaven to know your heavenly identity. Because God has given to you right here on earth so that you can embrace your power and bring other people out to There's somebody's life hanging in the balance of your confidence today. There's somebody's eternity hanging in the balance of what you believe about God and through God what you see in yourself. Two. Two men out of millions. Two. Made it into the promised land from this generation. Two. That is terrible mouth. May that not be said of you and your family. May it not be that you're the only one in your home that's growing a faith. May it be you and your children, you and your spouse, you and the people around you. May it be said that that the identity that God gave you, it was so inspiring to others that there were more than just you that were willing to serve God, more than just you that were willing to go, that other people found their hope and freedom too. Because you're going to face some giants in the coming year. How many of you in 2023 came through some challenges? Would you slip your hand up? How many of you faced some Goliaths in your life? How many, maybe still facing them? How many of you went through some heartbreak this year? How many of you had 
friends and family die this year. Lost a loved one, yeah. There were some giants in 23, wasn't there? But here you are standing here. What a victory moment. You made it. You survived it. You might not feel strong, but you're still going. You're still ministering. You got your hand laid on somebody else's back praying right now, even with a pain in your heart. Let's celebrate the fact of where you've come through and what you've gone through and where you are in 2023. Let's give God some glory. But let me tell you about 2024. There's giants there too. And the same God that brought you through this year will get you through the next. Don't forget that. The same one that equipped you and powerfully inspired you and and, and put himself in you this year. He's going to get you through next year. It's not the year you need to worry about. It's not the giants you need to worry about. It's this moment. Are you allowing God to be the anthem of who you are? Or are you allowing everything in the past or everything that's been said or everything that's been done or every hurt you've experienced to define where you're going? I don't know. At some point, you got to say, God, move me. You've brought me out. Move me. Take me. Prayer, prayer of Jabez, right? Enlarge my coast. Maybe right there you surrender. God, if you're calling me to preach this year, I'm going to give it to you. If you're calling me to lead a small group, I'm going to give it to you. If you're calling me to go home and start a Bible study with my own family, I'm going to give it to you. If you're calling me to, to, to just talk to my unbelieving husband about you more, I'm committing it to you. I'm, I'm stepping in. I'm surrendering. If you're calling me to stay in the job that I hate and around the people that I don't really like, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to make it my mission field. God, I'm moving forward. Let's go deeper. Let's go further. Let's go.